Okay, I have a question I want you to think about. You're driving down the road, approaching an intersection when the light turns yellow. And when you see the yellow light, do you speed up or do you slow down? Now, the yellow light is supposed to be a warning. It is a word of caution that literally means prepare to stop. But when you see that yellow light, do you speed up or do you slow down? The reason why I'm asking this question is because we see those yellow lights not just when we're driving a car. We see, those, we see these yellow lights both morally and spiritually, too. You know, all the way through the book of Proverbs, there's this yellow light that just keeps flashing. Here's an example. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15 says, The way of fools, meaning the path they take in life, it seems right to them. It doesn't seem right to anybody else, but it seems right to them. In other words, the reason why they're foolish and the reason why they don't live well is because every time they come to one of those critical moments in life where they have an important decision to make, they just kind of wing it. They never slow down to get advice. They never slow down to get a little perspective. They are foolish because they never stop to listen to others. Hey, I got this. I don't need your help. I can handle this. Anytime they come to one of those key moments in life where they really ought to take time to think things through, no, they just go rushing right through the moment. Just kind of playing everything by ear, hoping for the best. Hey, we'll just kind of ad-lib and make it up as we go along. And that's why they get themselves into all kinds of trouble. But the wise are different. And they are different in this way, it says, but the wise listen to advice. Meaning, when they come to one of those defining moments in life, one of those important crossroads, they slow down. Hey, rather than just carry on like we always have before and head down the same road and get the same kind of results, maybe this time we ought to take a turn. Maybe this time we ought to move in a different direction. You see, when they come to one of those key moments in life, they put on the brakes. They pause for a moment, and they take time to seek out the wisdom of others, especially the wisdom of those who've been at that same intersection before. Now, this is the way it is all the way through the book of Proverbs. There's this yellow light that just keeps flashing, a yellow light that just keeps saying, don't be foolish, don't be arrogant, don't be wise in your own eyes, don't act like you've got it all figured out, because you don't. Slow down, humble yourself, and, and take time to seek out the wisdom of others, and especially take time to seek out the wisdom of God. Well, the book of Proverbs is not the only place in the Bible where you find one of those yellow lights. Do you remember that day when the disciples came to Jesus and, and they asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Here are 12 young men who are all fired up about climbing the ladder and making a name for themselves. They're ambitious. They're eager to excel. And yet immediately, Jesus just takes the wind out of their sails. He puts up this big yellow light and says, slow down, fellas. You're missing the point. And then to show them how they're missing the point, Jesus grabs a little child, a toddler, and he takes this little one and he sets him on his lap and he says, fellas, unless you become like him, and you, unless you become like this little one, you're never even going to make it into the kingdom. Well, that's shocking. And at first, the disciples are thinking to themselves, hey, Jesus, I don't think you understand. We're talking about greatness. What's so great about this kid? I mean, he can't quote scripture. He can't even read scripture. I mean, Jesus, think about this. This little one, he has no education, no money, no power, no clout. He can't preach or teach. He's never once fasted or given alms like we have. How can he enter heaven before us? And Jesus basically says, because this little one knows something you don't. The little one recognizes who's in charge. See, children grow up in a world where somebody else is always calling the shots. It's the parents who tell them when it's time to take a bath and when it's time to go to bed. It's the adults who set the food on the table and let the little ones know when it's okay to sit down and eat. 
And because the little ones can, are unable to drive a car, they have to, they're always dependent upon somebody else to give them a ride and bring them to where they need to be. See, the children recognize that in order to survive in this world, you've got to constantly be leaning on somebody bigger and wiser than you. And according to Jesus, that's the same kind of mindset we need to have if we want to be a vital part of the kingdom of God. Every day, we need to recognize how big God is and how little we are and have the humility to say, you know, I think it'd be wise for me to put my trust in him. Well, here's another one of those yellow lights we find in the Bible. It's a scripture that I want us to read today. Here's one of those verses where I think it'd be wise for us to slow down and read it carefully and give ourselves time to think about, to think about what's being taught here. It's Matthew chapter 4 and verse 19. When Jesus first speaks these words, he speaks them first to Peter and Andrew, two brothers, and then says the same thing to another set of brothers, James and John. So here are four young men who are busy, working really hard to make a living as fishermen. But here is Jesus now calling them, inviting them to live life in a different way. And notice what he says. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, you might be thinking to yourself, okay, David, what makes this verse so special? Why is this verse so important? Well, think of it in this way. Let's suppose one night, Saturday night, you have this dream, and it becomes clear to you that in the midst of that dream, God's talking to you. In fact, that very same night, every one of the elders, every one of the staff, every member of this congregation has the very same dream. So the following morning, Sunday morning, we come together as a church, and as we're talking to one another, we discover we all had the same dream, and we're all convinced that God's trying to say something to us. He's sending us a message. And the message is this. There's this guy right now who's working over here at the local coffee shop. His name is Jake. He's never once been to church. I mean, he doesn't even have Bible. He doesn't know one thing about Jesus. And yet God says, 20 years from now, I want Jake to become the next lead minister for New Hope. New Hope, 20 years from now, God says, God tells us, 20 years from now, I'm going to call Rob to go and plant another church. I'm going to call Rob to move himself and his family to the south part of Florida and live in the beach and plant a church there. And when that happens, I want you to have this guy, Jake, ready to take his place. So, New Hope, you've got 20 years to get Jake ready. You've got 20 years to win him to the Lord. You've got 20 years to teach him and train him and equip him so he's ready to become the next preacher for this congregation. New Hope, you've got 20 years to get Jake ready to answer the call. So the question becomes, could we do it? Could we pull this off? Could God trust us to make that dream come true? And I think he could. But then the question becomes, how do we go about it? Do we have a plan in place? Do we have a process by which we take somebody like Jake, who right now doesn't know a thing about Jesus, and yet 20 years later we'll have him in a place where he's strong enough and mature enough in his faith that he can help lead others to Jesus too? Yeah, we do have a plan. And the plan's found right here in this verse. See, here's the verse that... It's all about being disciples who make disciples. Here's the verse where the Bible shows us how we're supposed to follow Jesus and how we help other people to follow Jesus too. Notice again what it says. There are three parts to it. Jesus is talking about three things. Number one, he says, follow him. Meaning, in every aspect of your life, let Jesus take the lead. You get really serious about following him. And then secondly, as you really get serious about following Jesus, then it says, Jesus says, I will make you. I don't bring about the changes in my life. He influences me. He changes me. So you follow him, and as you keep following him, he begins to change you. And then the third part is fishers of men. Here's our ministry, our mission in life. We're to make an impact on the world around us. 
So another way of talking about this is you could say to follow Jesus means to be with Jesus. And as you find yourself be, spending more and more time being with Jesus, you discover you become more and more like him. And as you become more and more like him, now you're in a position where you can help bring others to Jesus too. So be with him so you can become like him and so you can help bring others to Jesus too. Well, now the question becomes, how do you measure this? How can you tell if this is really happening? How can you tell if we as a church are being effective in carrying out this plan that Jesus has for us? And again, the answer is found right here in this verse. Here's our measuring stick. Here in this verse, we see the head, heart, hands of what it really means to be a Christian. The head. Do you have the right information? Meaning, are you following Jesus, the real Jesus? Not, you know, I think Jesus would want me. No, not your ideas about Jesus. Do you spend time every day looking in God's Word to find out who Jesus really is? Do you know the truth about Him? And do you know the truth of what He wants to be able to do in your life? The head, do you have the right information? Are you following the real Jesus? And then secondly, there's the heart. Are you allowing Jesus to be the primary influence on your life? Is He really changing you? I mean, can we see a change in your habits and your values and your lifestyle? Can we see a change in your, in your character and your attitude and the way you treat other people? Can we see Jesus living in you? So there's the head. Do you have the right information? There's the heart. Can we see transformation taking place because of what Jesus is doing in your life? And then thirdly, you have the hands, your vocation. Whether you're a, a plumber, an electrician, or an engineer, now because of Jesus... You do what you do to serve him. You do what you do to bring him glory. And as you bring God glory, others are drawn to his glory too. So here's a verse that's all about following Jesus. The Bible's telling us you need to follow Jesus and you need to serve Jesus with your head, your heart, your hands. And only then are you being the kind of disciple that he wants you to be. So you see, right on the surface of the verse, you can tell, man, there's a lot packed into this one little passage of Scripture. So obviously this morning we don't have time to go into all the details. So all I want to do today is just kind of give a brief introduction to this plan. This plan that Jesus has for how he wants to change your life and my life and how he wants to use us to change the lives of others. So I think in order for us to hear this verse in the right way, we've got to hear it the same way that Peter, Andrew, James, and John heard the verse. Because be honest, let's be honest with each other. We're not all in the same place. We're not all ready to follow Jesus in the same way. You know, some of us are like the young lady standing on the front porch. She just finished her second date with this great looking guy. And things are going really well. She would like to see this relationship continue. So here they are, the young man, the young lady standing on the front porch and he's getting ready to say goodnight. He says, hey, I had a wonderful time and I hope we can do this again sometime. Uh, good night. And then he turns to leave. But just before he gets off the porch, the young lady reaches out and grabs him by the hand and says, hey, I'm ready for that kiss. See, she's eager to spend some more time with this wonderful man. Well, so it is with some of us. This idea of following Jesus, man, we get excited. We're thrilled about this because we know what a great adventure this can be. But then there are some of us who are like the little boy standing in the doctor's office, and he's standing there because he knows he has to get a shot. So he's trying to be as brave as he can possibly be as he watches the doctor prep the needle. The little guy turns his head, closes his eyes. He stiffens up his arm and says, okay, I'm ready for the shot. I mean, he knows here's something that has to be done, but he's really not looking forward to it. So it is with some of us. We know we need to follow Jesus, but we have these fears, these reservations. We're, we're hesitant because we're not sure exactly what is, it, what is it he's asking us to do. 
and that's okay. It's okay to have those kind of doubts. See, to me, this is the great thing about this verse. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row before you're ready to follow Jesus. Peter, Andrew, James, and John sure didn't. You take time to read through the book of Matthew and you'll see all the mistakes they make. They have so much learning to do. But here is Jesus calling them into a new way of living life. And Peter, Andrew, James, and John discover as they begin to respond to that call, as they begin to follow Jesus, that following Jesus is a lot more like getting a kiss than getting a shot. So what did Peter, Andrew, James, and John hear when Jesus said these words, follow me? And I will make you fishers of men. Well, they knew right off the bat what Jesus was talking about. Jesus is describing himself as the rabbi, the teacher, and he wants to teach them. And so he's asking them to be his disciples, to be his apprentice. But what kind of picture would these four young men have in their minds when they heard this? Okay, Jesus wants to teach us. He wants us to be a disciple. We're supposed to learn from him. What kind of picture would they have had in their minds? They're thinking about this. I don't think they'd be thinking of a school building or sitting in a classroom. No, they wouldn't be thinking of learning in that way. In that day and time, for Peter, Andrew, James, and John, most of the rabbis they would have known about, they were not these professional scribes living and teaching down there in Jerusalem. I mean, you had rabbis like that. But up here in the northern part of Israel, in the region of Galilee, most of the rabbis that these young men would have known about were farmers, blacksmiths, woodcutters, people like this. Here, here's, here's this godly man that everybody else in the village really looks up to and admires. I mean, he really knows the Lord well. And you're thinking to yourself, man, I'd like to be like him someday. That's somebody I'd like to learn from. So when you go to him and you ask, hey, would you teach me? Would you be my rabbi? It meant that in order for me to be one of his disciples, since he doesn't make his living as a teacher, if I'm going to spend time learning from him, that means I have to be with him as he's working in the workshop, or in his workshop, or walking with him through his vineyard, or sitting with him there in the marketplace. I mean, here's a, a man who knows God really well, but the reason why I want to learn from him is not to get all these facts and figures. I'm not just there just to get information. No, I want to watch how this man takes this knowledge about God and how he puts to use in his everyday life. So when I spend time with him, he being the rabbi and I being the disciple, that means I follow him on his daily rounds. As he's going to court, as he's helping the poor, as he's fixing his kids some lunch, as he's purchasing an animal at the local auction. Because I want to observe how does this godly man handle his money? And how does this godly man negotiate a contract with a customer? And how does this godly man kneel down and pray at the end of a really tough day? In other words, how does this man live out his faith in the real stuff of everyday life? And in the midst of all this activity, as you're walking with your rabbi down the road or as you're standing with him out here in the open field, you're constantly talking, asking questions, listening for explanations, because the idea is this. If you hang out with somebody long enough, they're going to start to rub off on you. You find yourself or you get to the place where you start saying things the way they would say things and you start doing things the way they would do things. You begin to act more and more like them. Well, that's exactly the kind of interaction that Jesus is looking for here. When Jesus says, follow me, he means be with me so you can learn from me. And he means be with me so you can learn from me, not just when you're sitting here in a church building. No, he means be with me so you can learn from me when you're watching a movie, when you're doing your chores, when you're driving your car. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that's kind of convicting for me. I do not behave well when I'm sitting behind a wheel. <laughs> so if I'm really serious about following Jesus, that means from this moment on, I should never be driving that car alone. Every time I get behind the wheel, I should be driving that car with Jesus. So if I really see, as I get in the car, if I really see Jesus being in the car with me, how's that going to change things for me? 
Does that mean that I might begin to drive a little bit slower than I normally do? Does that mean I might begin to talk to the other drivers out there in the highway a little bit differently than I usually do? Oh, yeah. Or how about this? When you watch the evening news, do you watch it with Jesus? Do you talk to him about what you're seeing there on the TV? When something bothers you, when something raises a concern in your heart, do you find yourself just naturally turning to him and asking him to help those people you're watching on the screen? When Jesus says, follow me, he means to be with him and to allow Jesus to be with you and to allow Jesus to be with you in everything you do. That's what it means to be one of his disciples. In the early days of the Ford Motor Company, when Henry Ford himself was still running the show, there was this man, this is a true story. There was this man, a machinist, who was working at the big plant up there in Detroit. And from time to time, he would borrow some of the tools that he found there in the plant, meaning he would take them home and never return them. Now, that's against company policy, but he did it anyway. And the reason he did it was because everybody else was doing it too. And management knew all about it, but they never said anything. They never tried to put a stop to this. So the man thought, no big deal. Then one day, this man met Jesus, and he got baptized. And he was really serious about following the Lord. So the day after his baptism, he gathered up all those tools he had borrowed over the years, loaded them all in his truck, and brought them back to the plant. And he showed the foreman what he'd done. He says, hey, I'm sorry. This is wrong. I should never have done this. Would you please forgive me? <laughs> foreman was in a state of shock. He didn't know what to do. He'd never met a man being so honest before. So he immediately sent a cable to Henry Ford. Henry Ford was over in Europe at the time doing some business there. And when Henry Ford read the cable, he couldn't believe it either. He immediately picks up the phone, calls back to the factory there in Detroit, and says, I want to talk to that foreman. They put the foreman on the line and says, is this true? Did this really happen? He said, yeah. And Henry Ford said, then you gather every one of the men in that plant and take them right now to the Detroit River and baptize them. <laughs> Do you see the impact the man made? Now, why was it they could tell this man, this machinist, was a real disciple of Jesus? Because when he got baptized, he didn't just get wet. He wasn't just going through a ceremony. No, he met Jesus. And because of that encounter, that relationship with the Lord, it began to change the way he lived his life. When Jesus says, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men, he means be with him. And allow him to be with you in everything you do. And as you spend more and more time just being with Jesus, you're going to find yourself becoming more and more like Jesus. And as you become more and more like Jesus, now you're going to begin to impact the world around you, an impact that one day is going to help to bring others to Jesus too. Let's pray. God, my prayer today is that you would open the eyes of our hearts so we could see you and know you as the God you really are. Not the God we want you to be, but the God you really are. So that, Lord, we could know you better and trust you more. God, may our love for you just abound more and more and more. And God, may it be our love for you that encourages others to want to see you and know you too. And we pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Every year in the Christmas season, one of the songs we sing is Away in a Manger. And there's a line in that song that says, Be near me, Lord Jesus. I ask thee to stay close by me forever and love me, I pray. Isn't that what we're seeking during the time of communion? 
Here's one of those unique opportunities where Jesus himself invited us just to be with him. You see, in this moment of communion, we eat the bread and we drink the juice to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross and how it's that sacrifice that made this new life with him possible. So during the time of communion, we take a moment to treasure Jesus and the life that we now enjoy with him. We take time to treasure what he has done for us. Let's pray. God, we're here because we want to remember Jesus. We want to remember how he saved us. And we want to take time to treasure his love for us. So this morning we partake in his name. Amen.